We are glad that you are listening to this audio recording produced by All Things New Church of Birmingham, Alabama. For more information regarding the ministries of All Things New Church, please visit us online at www.allthingsnew.us. Let's start at the end of our readings. If you have a Bible near you, look at this passage that Fran just read to us. Romans chapter 1. Look specifically at verse 15. Paul writes, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Now, I think in order for us to understand what Genesis 15 and Deuteronomy 30 and Romans 1 have to do with each other, as I worked through these passages this week, I think our best angle of entry is to ask the question, what exactly does Paul mean by this statement? I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. He tells us what the gospel is in verses 3 and 4. 3 and 4, that's the content of the gospel. Verses 16 and 17, that's the effect of the gospel. So look what he says in verses 3 and 4. This, verse 3 and 4, this is what he's eager to preach to the Romans. Well, start in verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Now, before he names what the gospel is, he gives a kind of a parenthetical comment, kind of a parenthesis. The gospel which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son. Now, this is what the gospel is concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, Paul has several different ways of summarizing the gospel. He does it in different ways, in different letters, in different occasions. This is just one of Paul's summaries of the gospel. The gospel. When we look at what Paul is saying here, we see that it is this. It is the good news that the world's creator has fulfilled his once for all promise, right? Promised in the Holy Scripture. So Paul is saying, go back in ages, go back in our culture, go back in our encounters with God. It's been promised a long time ago. This once for all promise to Abraham. That's what Haley read to us. This promise to rescue the whole universe, the entire creation, the whole world from its brokenness. It's this amazing promise that God gave to Abraham in Genesis 12. We've read it a lot here as a church. When God called Abraham to leave his people, his home, and to go to a land that I will show you. And God said, I promise you that through you, I will build a great nation. And through that nation, the whole universe will be blessed. In other words, through one man and his family and their descendants, I'm going to fix this gig. I'm going to solve the problem of the cosmos. That's the promise that first shows up in Genesis 12. Now, the passage Haley read to us, Genesis 15, this is where God reaffirms the promise and he makes it formal. What Haley read to us is chopping animals in half and spreading them out and going to sleep and darkness and birds and all this weird stuff. That's an ancient ceremony. It's a covenant, a very serious covenant, life and death kind of thing. Stuff is getting killed to make this thing happen. It is God formally covenanting himself to Abraham that what he promised in chapter 12, the promise to fix the whole universe 
through him. Chapter 15 is God saying, now listen, I am binding myself to that promise and to you. And then Deuteronomy chapter 30, John read to us, it is God saying to Moses, Israel's going to fail their half of the covenant. They're going to mess up. And in chapters 27, 28, and 29 of Deuteronomy, we didn't have time to read those chapters. But in those three chapters, God says, Israel, if you obey me, here's all of the blessing that you'll get. But Israel, if you fail your half of the covenant, there will be a punishment. Remember when I entered into this covenant with you, animals were cut in half, life and death was on the line. It is serious business. And Israel, if you fail... Because the whole weight of the universe is depending on this covenant. If you fail Israel, there's a serious reckoning to occur. That's Deuteronomy 27 through 29. But Deuteronomy 30. See, that's where God says, Israel, you're going to fail. And because of that, it's going to get ugly. But even though you fail, I'm going to be true. I'm going to keep my half of the covenant. And on the other side of your failure is going to be the greatest gift of grace that you could ever imagine. That's Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Deuteronomy 27, 28, 29, 30. Now, what Paul is getting at in Romans chapter 1 is he's saying that story, that centuries-old covenant that God made, That promise that God made to Abraham and to his family that through them he would bring about the forgiveness of the whole world and he would renew every square inch of nature and culture. That story reached its climax in Christ. Christ is the climax of the covenant. He's the climax of the story. In other words, in raising Jesus of Nazareth from the dead, God demonstrated that Jesus is the clue. He's the key. He's the climax. He is the world's true Lord. Now, here's what we've got to wrap our minds around. That's the gospel. I mean, think about this. Mark, in the front of his gospel, says... The gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he does not give four spiritual laws. He tells the story of Jesus as what? As the climax of that long, long ancient story. In other words, the gospel is not you can be saved and here's how. That's not the gospel. The gospel is this. Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the gospel. One of my friends says it's gripped Paul so that he's so excited his cheese is sliding off the cracker. Somehow, Paul, when you start reading through Romans 1, he is excited beyond all measure because he's seen the climax of the covenant. He's seen that Jesus is Lord, the creator of the world who entered into this unique relationship with Abraham and promised that through him, through his offspring, through Israel, he would do something. To rescue this world from its problem, he's done it. And it's Jesus Christ. Now, that's the once for all solution that God had once for all promised. And it was once for all accomplished in Christ. That's the gospel. And Paul, he says in Romans 1 verse 15, I am eager 
I'm eager to tell this story. Now, my question is, why? What is it that makes Paul eager to tell that story? Now, Paul tells us in verses 16 and 17. In 16 and 17 of Romans chapter 1, Paul says in verse 15, I'm eager. And then in 16 and 17, he says there are four motivating factors in my eagerness. Number one. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Look at verse 16. For I am not ashamed. The word for it's because. Because I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now think about this. The story I just told you, the gospel is weird. We believe that the God of this universe made a promise to some nomad that through him and his children that he was you know, already really old and didn't have any, he was going to fix the universe. And then that guy had a bunch of kids and that became this little backwater nation in the Middle East. And then some backwoods part of this backwater nation, a guy was born, Jesus, and that was God in the flesh. And he was killed and he rose from the dead. This is weird stuff. This is not the kind of stuff that gets you tenure at a university. This is not the kind of stuff that advances you in banking. This is not the kind of stuff that makes you cool at Altamont. This is the kind of stuff that is just flat out weird. And, and, and Paul is saying, when you believe this weird stuff, you get to be a part of this worldwide family that's a foretaste of the renewal of all creation. Now, what I like about Paul is that time and again, he admits it. He cops up to it. He says, yes, I'm a weirdo. Yes, I've bought into something that makes no sense according to the rules of our culture. But he says, the reason I'm eager to tell the story is because I'm not ashamed of that. I know what it makes me look like, but I have no shame about that. He, he frequently admits it's not rational and it's not plausible. But he says, I confess it. It's the true story of the true God's once for all plan for his creation. That's the first reason Paul is so eager to tell the story to the Romans. These are sophisticated cosmopolitan people. That's the first half of verse 16. Look at the second half. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Here's the, that's the first reason. Here's the second. Because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now listen very carefully to what he's saying there. He's saying that when the gospel story is proclaimed, God works. In the telling of the story, God gathers up your words. And they become like the vehicle of the power of God to save people. Listen to how Paul says this in another one of his letters. He writes, our gospel came to you not only in word, right? Not only me just telling the story, but also in power. See, the gospel is the vehicle of God's power. In power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. We thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is. The word of God, get this, which is at work in you. 
The very story of the gospel is the, is the vehicle of God working in this world. Time and time again, Paul saw this proved out. I mean, time and time again, Paul would pull up next to somebody in his chariot and he would tell this story and he would see that God did stuff. Sophisticated cosmopolitan people found themselves believing this shameful, convoluted, irrational, unsophisticated thing. People believed this. And see, Paul is saying, seeing God work through me when I tell that story just makes me even more eager to tell it again. That's the second reason he's eager. Now look at verse 17 for his third Motivating factor in this eagerness. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Paul is eager to tell his friends and his family, his relatives, and people he's never met before in a city he's never been to. He's eager to tell them the gospel story because the story unveils the beauty of God. It, it, it shows, it's, it gives a display of God's righteousness. We saw in Genesis 15 that there was this ancient promise that God had made this covenant where God had bound himself to a once for all plan. This once for all irrevocable plan. But there was a problem. With this once for all irrevocable plan. And the problem was that God said through Israel. He was going to rescue the world. The problem was Israel. Israel had not held up their end of the covenant. They had become just as sinful as the rest of the world. They were faithless to the covenant. They were just as idolatrous as all the immoral people. That they were supposed to be showing the light of Christ to. But in Deuteronomy 30, we heard the beautiful promise that God would keep his end of the bargain. Even if Israel didn't keep her end. And Jesus, a Jew. Is the linchpin. God came in the flesh as a Jew to fulfill the Jewish end of the bargain. To be the true Israel. To to uphold Israel's half of the bargain on behalf of Israel. To rescue the whole creation. And so Paul is eager to tell the story because he's eager to say God keeps his word. Across centuries. In the face of betrayal and treachery of the worst kind. Even when he marries himself to a bunch of People who fail him over and over. Look how beautiful God is that he does not lie. He does not change his mind. He does not dissolve his covenant. He doesn't stop. He doesn't give up. He perseveres. This is the righteousness of God. It's God keeping his covenant. That's the third reason. Now, let me show you the fourth reason. It's in the second half. Of verse 17. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed. From faith for faith. As it is written. The righteous shall live by faith. The first two words. From faith. 
It's a very difficult passage to interpret. Here's my best shot. And I didn't make this up. This has definitely been around for a long time. The first two words from faith, that's Christ. Christ was faithful in his life and in his death. He held on to the promises of God. He trusted God. And his faithfulness results in you and I having faithfulness today. So from the faithfulness of Christ to our faithfulness. Then Paul quotes from a book in the Old Testament, the book of Habakkuk. He gives his quote, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, Habakkuk lived in a time of turbulent crises. At the time of Habakkuk, when he was living, when he was writing his part of the Old Testament, it seemed that there was absolutely no way for God to keep his end of the deal. I mean, everything was in the dark. And in the midst of those dark days, Habakkuk the prophet clung to God in faith. In faith that God would prevail. And this is exactly what Jesus did on the cross. In the darkest of moments, Jesus clung to God in faith. And Paul is eager to tell the gospel. This story that goes from Abraham through Habakkuk and climaxes in Christ because it shows that the only way into God's family is through faith. And that is always the way it has been. It was like that with Abraham. It was like that with Habakkuk. And it was like that with Christ. Faith is the thing that God requires of everyone in order to be a part of his family. Believing this God is the only chance the Romans had to be saved. That's why Paul is eager to go tell them. Because if somebody doesn't tell them, they don't have a chance. You can only be a part of the family of God if you believe in this God. And listen, it's true for us today. You are responsible to believe in the God whose son bore your sins on the cross and was raised from the dead. You are responsible to commit your life in absolute loyalty to this God. To rely on this Christ like Abraham did and Habakkuk did. And if you do, you too will be saved. So that's Paul. That's why Paul is eager to get to Rome. Now, what about us? I mean, let's let's let scripture not only tell us the story, let's let it speak to us. So what about you? Are you eager to tell the story? Be honest about this. In the face of a community that values rationalism. Can you say, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. I'm not ashamed to confess That God made a once for all plan to rescue this world from evil and death. And it was ultimately achieved in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Can you say you're not ashamed of that? 
in the midst of a community that is consumed with the things of this world, with wealth and prestige and ambition and victory? Are you ashamed of a carpenter's son who was never flush with riches and went to his death not even owning the clothes on his back? In a society that hates exclusivism and intolerance, are you ashamed to say that believing in God's once-for-all plan, that it was fulfilled in the life and death and resurrection of Christ, is the only way into God's family. Oh, church, don't be ashamed. Don't look down. Luxuriate in this gospel. Take up your good confession. And in the face of social and psychological suffering, in the face of vocational pressures, lift up your head and look at the unspeakable love of Christ on the cross, of Christ risen. Like Paul said to Timothy, I want to say to all things new tonight, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord Christ, but share in suffering for the gospel. Whatever suffering it brings into your life to proclaim it, share it. Embrace that suffering and be convinced that God is able to protect you and see you through whatever pain embracing the gospel brings into your life. Don't be ashamed, church. If you're not eager to tell the story of Christ to your friends and your co-workers and your relatives and whoever you encounter, let me encourage you to remember. All you got to do is tell it. You don't even have to be good at it. You don't have to know it backwards and forward like Fran the Shaka. You know, the, the is always the middle name, you know, when you're, Paul the Apostle, you know, Mother to Teresa. You don't have to be. Paul didn't say, when I tell it really good, God moves. Paul said, all I got to do is name the story. Let me encourage you to remember that when you tell the gospel, whether you're Spencer, right? Or Robert, who's so much older than Spencer. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter if you're a teenager, a parent. When you tell the gospel story of Jesus, God will work. Out of sheer grace, when you tell the story, it will be picked up by the powerful winds of God's spirit. The same winds of God's spirit that hovered over the earth in Genesis 1 and 2. It will be picked up by the wind of God's spirit and God himself will transform hearts and minds and people will find themselves believing in something you can't prove. Believing in something that you get twisted up on when people ask you particular questions. People will find themselves believing in this ridiculous, shameful thing that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead. Tell the story. Just tell it. Tell it to your friends. Tell it to your enemies, especially, right? Tell the story time and time again, and God will effectively work in hearts. Tell the story and get this. You will participate in God's renewal of his creation. You will see God work in ways that you could never predict and that you can never control. 
It'll take you by surprise. And, and you know what will happen? You just courageously stick your foot out there, or your mouth out there and tell it once. And you'll see things happen. And like Paul, this avalanche of eagerness will grow in your life when you begin to see that this thing is bigger than you, that God has anointed the very telling of this story. And again, like Paul told Timothy, I encourage us, all things new, every one of us, from children to teenagers and adults, you must devote yourself to Scripture. We must learn the scriptures because Paul told Timothy they make us wise to really understand the story. And I think some of us don't tell the story because we don't understand it. You don't understand it because you're not immersing yourself in the story in scripture. Remember, one of the reasons that Paul was so eager to proclaim the gospel was because he wisely understood that the gospel revealed the beauty, the goodness, the faithfulness He called it the righteousness of God, right? I'm not ashamed of the gospel because in it, the the righteousness of God is unveiled. It's revealed. Set aside time every day to read it and study it and memorize it. And you know what will happen? You'll begin to see its beauty. And you'll begin to want to tell other people about this beautiful thing. And finally... Remember the fourth reason Paul was eager to proclaim the gospel? Because it shows the only way into God's family. Everyone you meet needs the gospel. You've never met a person that didn't need the gospel. Everyone you are related to needs the gospel. Everyone you work with needs the gospel. Everyone you've never encountered needs the gospel. Look at Romans 1.16 again. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. To believe in this gospel, it means you believe in this God whose son bore your sins and was raised from the dead. But more than that, it means that you have declared absolute loyalty to that God. What I'm saying is, you need this gospel. You cannot be saved without that faith. You cannot be saved. If you don't believe in that God and that story. So I ask you lastly. Do you have this kind of faith? If you do. I remind you what Habakkuk said in the darkest of times. The just live. And they keep on living. And they never stop living by that kind of faith. I encourage you to walk in it. I encourage you, my church family, that God is utterly reliable. No matter how complex and perplexing life is, God will not fail you. Trusting in God is how his children live. Now, if you don't have this kind of faith, 
I encourage you to seek it. Because you're doomed without it. I mean, really. And forever. I mean, it's over without it. If this kind of faith is just now being birthed in your life. If you find yourself just now believing with the very faint beginnings of belief in this gospel. And I want to show you something. Look in your worship guide. Look on page four. There is an incredible prayer of belief. You don't have to read it now. I just want to show you that it's there. If you're beginning to have this kind of faith, here's a great prayer that could give you the words to reach out to God. If you don't, there's a prayer here for those searching for truth. If you've already put your faith in Christ, then over on page five, there's a prayer of commitment and response. Now, look, look up here. You'll have a chance to read through those prayers here in a moment. For all of us. I think what we need to do now is to search our hearts. And I challenge you. I double dog dare you to ask yourself this question. Are you eager to share the gospel? When was the last time your eagerness won out and you actually told the story? If you aren't eager, you need to look at verses 16 and 17 and use them to probe yourself. Is it because you're ashamed of Christ in the midst of a rationalistic, tolerant, success-oriented culture? If you're not eager to share the gospel, is it because you've just never shared your faith and you've never actually seen the power of God go to work? And so you you haven't yet got a taste for it. Or is it because you don't understand its beauty? Is it because you've never really quite seen it? Is it because you don't believe that everyone really needs it? That believing in the gospel is, is the only way into the family of God? Or is it because you yourself do not believe? I'm going to pray for all of us. And then I'm going to give you a few moments to sit and reflect on these questions I've just asked. Are you eager? And if you are, rejoice in it. And if you're not, ask the Spirit of God to show you why. Look, a God that is so beautiful in his goodness, he'll receive your honesty. Let's pray.